Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we have what I call a champion for justice, a gentleman by the name of Charlie Griffin, who has suffered injustice at the hand of the criminal justice system in Colorado. Tonight you're going to hear part one of his story, and ladies, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, you better buckle in, this is going to get very interesting. Injustice, the Charlie Griffin story, kicks off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Kendrick Barnes, Samson Riddle, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams, and the entire AJC radio team. And we are honored tonight to have in studio with us Charlie Griffin. And, Mr. Griffin, thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate that. And I'll tell you, folks, what I've heard from Mr. Griffin uh, regarding what he has gone through uh, as far as the injustice that he has suffered uh, is enough to really trouble you. Uh, You're going to hear his story tonight, uh, and I'll tell you what, it is heart-wrenching, all the things that Mr. Griffin has has gone through, the things that he has suffered. I've had the honor and the privilege of meeting him some months ago, and we just now have been able to come together together had the opportunity to talk to his lovely wife. Uh, we are fighting for Mr. Griffin, that justice be found, and we're going to do our very best as AJC Radio and Just Calls to make sure uh, his message is brought to the, the entire nation and across this country. Mr. Griffin, thanks for joining us. Give us your thoughts, if you will, really quick, on why this is important that this show air your story tonight. Well, first of all, uh, it will give me a big relief of the 13 years that I've suffered from. And I'd like to thank Just Calls for coming in for my rescue to give me this big relief because I've been carrying this burden for over 13 years. Yes. And this is the only chance that this takes all that burden off of me. Oh, absolutely. And you're going to hear more from Mr. Griffin uh, as this show goes on. And Samson, we, we talk a lot on this show uh, about the injustice that happens in this country. It's not exclusive to, the, to, to Washington, D.C., Chicago, New York, these places. Injustice is happening in every part of this country. And Mr. Griffin's story, how important it is that we get it out to the people in our own backyard as well. Well, I mean, I think it's absolutely paramount that we get his story, a uh, story like for the IRP fire with Kendrick and those stories that are happening. I mean, if it was an isolated thing, it'd be one, it'd be one thing. But the fact of the matter is this show exists because this, this is an epidemic going on in our country. That The fact that the, the, the scales of justice are no longer balanced, the the system that was supposed to be put in place to ensure that everyone gets a fair trial, everyone gets a fair shake regardless of their stats or, or status is no longer in place. So we exist to give a voice to the voices and give people a platform like Mr. Griffin to get their story out there and inspire others that have had you know similar incidents happen to them to get it out there and, and let their voices be heard because nothing's going to change unless we get out there, we speak up for those that can't speak and, and inspire that change. And this is, again, just part one. We're going, to get, we're going to take a quick break, come back. We, you will hear from our champion of justice himself, Mr. Charlie Griffin, on the other side of this break. Folks, buckle in, grab a beverage, whatever that might be, and settle in as the story of Charlie Griffin takes off here on AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
for a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, We have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we are we have more people locked up than China, China, who has a billion people. They've got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses and uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on. But the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison and you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, 
Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. Tonight, we get ready to go down a road that, I'll tell you what, a lot of people want to turn their eyes away from, and that is the criminal justice system, not only in this nation, but here in the state of Colorado, uh, notoriously known for outrageous behavior and conduct. Uh, There's a lot of stories out here. Tonight, we focus on one uh, very important one, and that is the story of Charlie Griffin, uh, who I consider a friend of this organization and personal friend who has gone through some things, uh, meeting him some months ago as, as we were uh, down near the uh, Prospect Lake area and heard his story months ago, uh, very briefly about the injustice uh, that he suffered. Uh, Mr. Griffin, again, thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to get right into it, and I'm going to give you the floor to talk about what happened to you and why this is important that we let your voice be heard. That many other people who have suffered and gone through many times think just like you, if not worse, uh, how you may be an inspiration to these folks tonight about what you went through and that we as a, as a, as a human race, uh, uh, they're going to say bottom line is we're not going to put up with this type of behavior against citizens and law abiding citizens at that. I give you the floor, Mr. Griffin. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank my, my savior. Uh, the Lord thy God and His Son Jesus Christ, because that's the one that turned my life around. I always have been a Christian, but uh, they are the first thing in my life. However, I want to I want to thank Just Cause again for giving me the opportunity to really taking my case seriously. And everything that I'm saying to you all tonight is the truth. It's the it's the bottom truth, and I'm going to give it to you just like that. First of all, this is how it happened. <clears throat> First of all, I've been working ever since I was 13 years old. I didn't have every job that you can imagine, from a dishwasher to the custodian, administration, work for the federal government, electronics, and everything. All I ever did was work. And when this incident happened to me, I was at, at work, at work, doing a good job, you know. And I always, I always, every job I ever had, I did an outstanding good work. So at this time here, this person here, he did not like my performance because I was outworking him. So he came up to me and tried to give me some orders, you know. He was not my supervisor. So I told him, you're not my supervisor. So he got angry and came up to me and took a swung at me. I got the better exchange, okay? Now, when I got the better exchange, when I came down the next day, uh, I mean, the same day they fired me. I said, okay. So the next day I found out that I had a charge. Police officer came and arrested me, and they put me me in, uh, in jail and in jail, and I'm and I was on bond for a two thousand dollar bond. Now, during that process, uh, uh, to be honest about, it, I'm a very smart individual, okay? Because I went to school. I went to school as uh, I studied a lot of books, psychiatrist, uh, MD, uh, psychiatrist, and, and lawyer too. So I'm pretty, I'm real good at lawyer too. So probably the best in the world. But however, uh, <clears throat> I want you all to know this. Is that the reason why I'm telling you all this story right here? Because this is my big relief. Now, when when I went to court, and I had a, I had an attorney, you know, and I explained to the attorney, you know, you know what's going on. 
So they took me through this red tape playing games. And I say, how are you going to get a felony out of fight, a fist fight? You know, I asked him, how are you going to do that? So I let, him go, I let them go ahead on, the judge, the prosecutor, and my attorney also. So, you know, I'm sitting there in the courtroom because, you know, I know the law. So I'm just, I'm just looking at these people, you know. And I know because I'm black and think I'm blind, stupid, or crazy. So I said to myself, I'm going I'm to ask the judge again, Your Honor, uh, what have I done? I admit that I had a fight. But where did you get your felony? A class four felony? And I said, that was outrageous. So going through the process, uh, let me, um, I think it took two years going through the process. But, you know, they've they done so much terrible things to me that I had to accept that. And, you know, they all got games. And the biggest game they got, the judge got, is that, inco- uh, that competent and incompetent. That's, that's, yeah. that's the judge game. See, when he gives you that incompetent, you're going straight to jail. But, see, I know all the legal procedures. So they sent me to St. Carlos under these psychiatrists and where they uh, giving me all these drugs for a fight. Now, to be honest about it, I am on medication. I'm a bipolar disorder, but I'm on medication. But I'm still smart, you know. But I ain't got no business in no in no St. Carlos. I ain't got no business in the jail. They don't have a 30-day they don't have a 30-day case. But they run run me through there. Uh, they psychiatrists were down there two years. So I, I stayed in that jail for a year and 44, uh, uh, 400-some odd days. Okay, so they took my bond from me, my $2,000 bond, which that's against the law, my own personal bond. So they took my bond away from me. So they brought me back, and they found me competent. So they found me yeah. competent. Then I went to trial. The jury found me guilty. And then they sent me to prison. And I went through all that ordeal, and during that, I did 13 years. And that's, they for, beat. And that's for a fist fight. That and that's for a fist fight. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then, when I did the 13 years, they beat me up because I was smart. They said, this guy here is very smart. We don't need him. We need to get him eliminated. You know, We need to get him out of Colorado. Well, the thing about it, I've been in Colorado for 50 years. So I know all about Colorado because all I ever did was work because I don't drink, smoke, mess with narcotics and none of that. But however, they beat me up. They broke my arm. They put a big knot on my head. They broke my little finger. And then they sent me to St. Carlos where they tortured me. They wouldn't feed me. They kept me locked up in the room. And then I was... uh, uh, I think it was Kit Carson, uh, Burlington, where they, they treated me real bad, wouldn't feed me, kept me in lockdown all the time. You know, that's another game they got, that lockdown. That's what I'm here to tell you all about, that lockdown game they got. That lockdown game destroy your mind. Can you imagine that? Ain't never been in no trouble. And what that does to you, but they are professional. Let me tell you something about the correction department. They know how to punish you. They know how to destroy you. And if they don't like you, they will destroy your mind. You got to be real strong. I was strong inside the, the Lord. That's how I made it through. And they want to know how I made it. I made it through because of the grace of God. Because I had a strong mind and a strong heart. And they hated that. They are so evil. When Christmas comes, 
I did that 13 years. They used to send people, call people down, say, give Charlie Griffin a hard time. They would, I wouldn't do nothing. I wasn't doing anything. So they would come up with a false write-up, raving it, and keep me in the hole for the holidays and Christmas. You know. Now, my wife and kids, I got a wife and two kids at the time. But they're grown now. My wife had to take care of my two kids. And I, I guess the hardest part about it, when my wife came to see me at, uh, in Burlington, I mean, no, I was in Burlington, in Lyman, you know, in Lyman, and when she started crying, you know, and that, that's, that, that, that hurted me so badly, you know, and I told Sandra, that that's my wife's name, I said, don't worry about it. God is going to take care of this right here, this injustice. And they said, Charles, they did this because they said, you too smart. Well, you know, Go to school like I did and put in a lot of time and work, you know. Right. I said, it ain't my fault because I learned how to be smart and went to school and, 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 did, and did my work, you know. But however, that Department of Justice, they made a big mistake in their word, in the world, because they sent me to prison. Because I worked for the federal government, and I know how the federal government works, and I know my civil rights. But I, you know what? I did it in an intelligent way. I did the time. I took all of that. But during that process in, uh, in, 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 uh, in prison, I filed all the legal paperwork to the, uh, to, the, to the Court of Appeals, to the Supreme Court. I filed my own Habeas Corpus. I filed a 2254 in the United States Courts. And I'm saying to myself, you're going to tell me that ain't nobody going to look at this? I wrote to the governor. And I explained to the governor, I'm here for a fight. And these people are mistreating me. You know? And uh, you know, the thing bad about this is everybody's getting advanced on my case. They know I'm in there for nothing, but they're getting promoted. Using me. Mm-hmm. Using me. You know? And like I say, <clears throat> it was that the prosecutor George, that's her name. If you don't know the difference in a felony and a misdemeanor, how did you get your license? That's what I want to know. How did you get your license? And a question on that, Mr. Griffin, uh, or a statement to add to that. Uh, and so our listeners understand. Let me, let me reiterate what Mr. Griffin just said. He's at his job. Doing his, doing his job. A guy comes down and aggressively attacks you. You, in return, defend yourself in a situation like that, that is either you or him. There's no weapons involved. This is a playground fist fight that we used to exactly. probably do on the, in school. How that becomes a felony for is uncomprehensible to me. Because that's, that's not even in the realm of a F4 felony. That's a misdemeanor. Uh, they probably call it third degree it's not even, but it, third, it shouldn't even be that. It's not even a good third degree. It's only a, if anything, a twenty days, a thirty days. If you got that, it's a citation. So what happened yeah. to the uh, to the other guy in the fight? What did he get? Did he get? He didn't get anything? no time. They fired me. They removed me. Another thing, they got a, a job. I, I know. Look, they got a no, tar, no a zero tolerance mm-hmm. fight. If you fire one, you got to fire the other. Right. He did not do that. They came straight at me, sent me away, and let him go. Mm-hmm. At Fresh is Fresh. That's where I was working at the time. Let me ask you a question, Mr. Griffin. When the police came 
You said they came the next day to arrest you. No, they did not. They did not. They know. What they did, they took a complaint, mm-hmm. and the people fired me. So I'm riding around looking for another job. The officer came in and pulled me and said, we got a warrant for your arrest. I said, okay, well, come on. Did they so stop they, you or they pick you up? No, they stopped me. They stopped you, okay. Yeah, they stopped me. And they took me downtown, and they booked me. Okay. And then I had a post bond for $2,000. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And from there, I went to court, like I say. Okay. Went through that procedure. Usually they'll have what they call, as you, and you're familiar with it, a preliminary hearing. Yeah. Says the judge says, look, the judge, though, should have immediately seen the charge as an F4. Should have came, said, we don't have sufficient evidence to prosecute Mr. Griffin as a, on a felony four. What was the charge itself? At the F four, what was it itself? Was it a, a, a well at that time, uh, the charge came out said they gave me a felony. Right. Okay. So I didn't realize it was F four until later on down the road. Okay. But he said it was a felony anyway, and I'm telling the judge, how are you gonna get a felony out of that? Exactly. I said, how are you gonna get a felony out of that? So he tells me, Mr. Griffin, be quiet. I said, I just want to know how you get a felony out of this. You know, if I have committed a felony, right. then show me how you get it. Exactly. I admit this, that this guy here took a swung at me, and I got the better exchange. I accept that punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll accept it and deal with it. And this was, what's so bizarre about this, um, what's so bizarre about this is that um, I have seen more egregious uh, acts of fighting or assault that didn't raise to the level of an F4. That, that's, that, that, that's what is insane to me that really doesn't, really, doesn't make, uh, uh, really doesn't make a lot of sense that you would give somebody the, an F4. That's not, it's, an, it's an outrageous yeah. what the judge done did. He didn't, what he done did was misuse of his power. That's right. That's what he did. And what he was hoping, but see, you got to understand this too. You got that prosecutor, G.A. Joyce, mm-hmm. I can't get a name, and my, my attorney, uh, Sheila McIntyre and Monica Gomez. Mm-hmm. They had already then told him that this is a very smart black man, and we got to get rid of this man, we, uh, especially in Colorado. He is too well-known in Colorado Springs. See, I'm well-known in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. If you say Charlie Griffin or Bobo, they're going to tell you everything about me, yeah. and I want you all to inquire. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. I don't have nothing to hide at all. You know? Okay. This is the biggest thing out of these 13 years that I feel good right now. No, no, Because this, this, this pressure is, is, is off of me. But one thing they can never change. Sure, they took 13 years out of my life. Yes, they stopped me from getting that law degree because I was going to fight for my black people. And they're right. They are worse in trouble because these lawyers... They're taking our money and ripping us off and this and that. They was in worlds of trouble because they got to deal with Charlie Griffin. I got See? you. And they yeah. know that, too. That's Fred Renewal and Gerald W. Riley, them Social Security lawyers, asked him about me. Mm-hmm. Because, see, another thing they did, too, after they beat me up, they, um, I got my Social Security coming and my pension. And they, they reduced my pension because of my Social Security. Michael Bennett and Doug Lombard know, know this for a fact, that I am a federal employee. You cannot touch a pension or a disability. I've been dealing with you, Michael Bennett, for over over a decade, and Doug Lombard. 
So you tell me, how is you going to re? How are you going to offset a pension and a disability when you get the same thing and we all in one family? And another thing, you can't touch mine because I'm a CSRS that strictly tells you that you cannot touch my money. Absolutely. And my wife and my kids suffer and, and they didn't get their money. That's my money. I work for it. I worked two jobs for over 45 years and continue to work and got my own business. And then you're going to sit on your desk down there and use uh, your so-called smartness. But let me tell you something, Michael Bennett and Doug Lombard. You're dealing with Charlie Griffin, okay? You're dealing with me, okay? And you come to me, and you talk to me like that. Yeah, because I'm not your average black person. I'm way smart. I'm the smartest lawyer in the world, just like President Trump, which you're going to be the president in the next four years, because I love President Trump. All right. <clears throat> Go ahead. <clears throat> and what we're going to do, uh, folks, uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'll tell you what, one thing you can't argue with, the passion here comes from the heart. Now, folks sit back, they want to uh, make judgment or say, well, why is Mr. Griffin so upset? 13 years of his life taken and taken without cause. You have our political folks. Mr. Michael Bennett, Doug Lamborn, Colorado representatives, not all of them, but these two, to be specifically clear, we've experienced that type of no-care attitude from, the, from those politicians. Uh, Mr. Griffin's point is made clear. Where are those that were voted into office to fight for the citizens that put them there? We're going to find out the other side of the break. We're going to talk a little bit more about the failure tax. The right to remain silent should not be the case, but it was the case with Senator Bennett and that Senator Michael Bennett, as well as Doug Lamborn, Congressman Lamborn. We're going to deal with that. Talk a little bit more, Mr. Griffin, about a personal loss I think you suffered during this process. How that's affected you, your wife, your family. We say it all the time on this show, the collateral damage of injustice. Casualties of injustice. We want to deal with that on the other side of the break. Our special guest tonight, Charlie Griffin. His story of injustice continues. This is ADC Radio. We'll be right back. anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. The 
racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%. Less than 1%. It doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in 100 Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind, but people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates, and lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised. Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. Tonight we are in very difficult territory. We talk a lot about on this show the price of injustice. Who's affected? As I sit here tonight and listen to our honored guest tonight, 
Mr. Charlie Griffith. My heart is saddened. Of the 13 years taken from this man. You have a situation where you find yourself in a jail cell, still pondering, what am I doing here? The horror show, if you will, not a show at all, but very real, 13 years. Because someone approached you and aggressively attacked you, you in return protect yourself to self-preservation. Walk into a courtroom, and a judge says, or a prosecutor, brings the charge of an F4. And if you don't, if you don't know what that means, felonies go as, as the higher, the lower the number, the higher the felony. They go to F6s, which is a low felony, very on the borderline, if you will, of a misdemeanor. Mr. Griffin defended himself, and he ends up in a cell, and he ends up in solitary confinement. I'm going to have our team pull the horrors and the sounds of solitary confinement. I'm going to let you hear what that is. And Mr. Griffin, let me say for myself personally, I'm very sorry. For what you suffered. Thank you very much. It's unacceptable. This is why we, as an organization, must seek out to expose that type of injustice. The tears that your wife shed, I'm sure, over those 13 years. The holidays, the Christmases, that my husband is not here. My children's father is not here. Unacceptable. We're going to get some thoughts really quick, Mr. Griffin. We're going to come right back to you. I'm going to talk about that personal loss that you suffered. Dennis, when you hear Mr. Griffin talk, what goes through your mind? Uh, it's, it's just so – it makes you think of how uh, our justice system is so corrupted. Uh, when you got uh, a man – that goes to prison for 13 years for a fist fight that he didn't even start. I mean, I tell you, that's amazing. Uh, it seems as though when you defend yourself, uh, had he maybe if he had been quiet and just accepted the fact that, uh, yeah, I was wrong in this situation. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm at fault. But no, he didn't do that because he wasn't at fault. But what's sad about it is how can you take a misdemeanor and make it a felony? And then when it's fought in, in the legal system, our justice system says that what he received was just. That's ridiculous. Well, what gets to me here is that I don't even see a crime. Eerie. Where's the crime? That you that if I if you walk into a situation, somebody attacks you. I defend myself. We said that about Trevon Trevon uh, Martin. Martin, right? Yeah. That He's minding his business. Mr. Griffin's at his job working. Exactly. He's doing his job. You come up to him and say, I got a problem with you, and you attack Mr. Griffin. And where's the investigation? You say, well, what happened? You know, they don't even say, hey, let's talk, get, 
get uh, Mr. Griffin's side. Let's get the other guy's side. No, no witnesses. They didn't see. Let's go but, see if any witnesses are involved or anything. But even worse than that, I mean, this is a workplace altercation. Exactly. So, rule number one, HR. Rule number two, where are the witnesses that saw the altercation between Mr. Griffin and the other individual? Why was this not handled at the workplace place level? And then if there was grounds for the police to be called in, it should have happened right then and there right. on the office site where you, right. have, you have your corporate structure. You have the HR manager to say this is what happened. Here are the witnesses. When you fill out the re- police report, here's the people you can call. They wait until this man is gone about his business, already fired him. So now your, your pension is on the line because they fired you saying for calls, but you was the one being attacked. Then they send the police after you on a day that the altercation didn't even happen. That is so far outside yep. of corporate policy that is ridiculous. The company should have been sued for letting the, the man send the police after you and not coming to your defense saying that's not what happened here or we would have called the police the day that they, the two men got into the altercation. So there was so much on your side to say not only should you not have been arrested or fired, but that you had a case to go against the corporation that that allowed this to come down on you. But you look at the system and you see like, okay, this is what happens when you have you have the, the corporation is at fault, but then you have a prosecutor who's out of control. You have a judge who's out of control. And even when your defense attorney is saying, hey, what is going on here? You still have the judge that allows the prosecutor to push to this to this type of uh, this type of sentence for something this stupid. You get in a fight and they give you over a decade of time, and the judge don't have nothing to say about that. That's totally insane. Your thoughts, Mr. Griffin? I, I agree with all of you. you know, I, I know it was wrong. I, I definitely know it was wrong. I know when I got fired, it was wrong, and then filed the other individual. When I when he said that I was fired, I left. Mm-hmm. You know, and then three days later they arrested me. I know all this was in, 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 uh, in fault, but I say uh, nothing you can do when they take the law in their own hands. So all you can do is to deal with them with intelligence, which I did. I went to court and I explained my situation, and they took it to another level. Well, ain't nothing I could do about it. The judge, the prosecutor, asked for a competent hearing. Which that tells you if a person don't know what a company is and incompetent, they found me incompetent. Send me straight to jail. That's one that's another one of their games. But they mess with the wrong person. Because I know the legal procedure. Like I say, I'm I'm good what I'm doing. That's why they sent me to prison, because they didn't want Charlie Griffin to be an attorney. Because the other lawyer know they're in trouble, just like Fred Noel and Judge Dudley Raleigh, what I did to them in the Social Security made them look foolish. However, is that I know that it was injustice. I know that I wasn't treated right. And I, was, I am hurt by my wife, Sandra. And let me tell you about my wife. Yes. She's, a good, she's a good person. She's a good Christian work person. And she worked hard, me and her. I met my wife when we was in our 20s. We've been, we've been married for over 40 years, 45 years, and we're still together. However, uh, I just want you to know what she went through. It, yes. it was hurt. And when she and when she started crying, uh, you know, it hurted me so badly. I just had to just turn the other way, you know. I had to turn the other side. It, it, it hurts. It, I, you know, I just can't 
every day that 13, 14 years dealing with them every second, every minute, and every hour, you know, that hurts. You know, every day I'm dealing with these people. And, and uh, but I'm steady fighting the legal procedure. But I've met a lot of friends in, in prison. I told them if they kill me, uh, let the people know what happened. And all of them said, we're going to tell this story. But you know, they so smart. You know what they did? They moved me each time. Each time the inmates start concerned, uh, I think his name was Abbott. Uh, uh, he's a black warden. I went to talk to him, sent him letters. And what he did, he sent me another place. It was another um, uh, um, uh, warden. Her name was Shoemaker. After she found out, they moved me. They continued to move me because they didn't want this, this to get out. But the inmates didn't already say, we're going to tell it anyway, Charlie, because you know what? You're not like this here. You're very smart, you know. You ain't got no business in here, you know. So they was trying to help me, but I know the legal procedure. I know how to file paperwork. I know how to file appeals and uh, file with the United States because I work for the federal government, you know. So mm-hmm. I know about it. So they moved me. And then when they moved me, they beat me up. I lost my mind. I, I mean, I lost my memory in, in St. Carlos because they wouldn't feed me. You know, and the doctor that treated me was Dr. Graham Hoffman and Dr. Covey. Dr. Grant Hoffman, he really, he, you know what? I, I got to say this from the state, Dr. Grant Hoffman, because he didn't give me no strong drugs. He said, I'm not going to give you no strong drugs because you ain't that type of person. However, I'm going to get you on your medication and try to get you out of here. Now, that was, that, now that was the state doctor, Dr. Grant Hoffman. He did not try to destroy me. He did not try to destroy me. However, I got beat up uh, by this police officer. His name was, uh, mm, except for my tongue. Um, he was, uh, I got beat up there. His name is, uh, mm, I can't think of his name right now. I don't have a paper with that. Uh, I can't think of his name. But anyway, he got there and he broke my arm. Cash, that's his name, Cash. Officer Cash, that's his name. And anyway, and, and they covered him up there, you know. They did so much cover. They did so much bad things to me, you know. And uh, and I hired lawyers and, and I and I paid lawyers. They took my money from me. And uh, and uh, what's his name? Because uh, my father loaned me the money because he knew I was in trouble. I think his name is Brian Brian Debauch. That's his name. Brown Brian Debauch. I want you all to know about these lawyers because I don't want you all to go through. These lawyers are con men. They are con men, and the only thing they want is your money. And when they, special, when they meet a person like me, they hate my guts because they know I understand it. Right now, I got two Social Security lawyers right now, and that's Bozer and Bozer and Mr. Ash. They own the case right now, but I know exactly what they're doing and, and know what they should do. It don't take no two, three years to get my money when they know they can't touch a pension and, and a disability. But to see the thing about it, I know their job, so it's easy for me. It's easy for me to deal with them because I know the job, you know. But anyway, you know, all this stuff happens. But you know, the good thing about it, it would give me an ease because I love the Lord thy God and his son, Jesus Christ. And I have dedicated my life to them. And I really want to let you know, I, 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 was, I was at my deathbed. I suffered from a, sub, a subdermal tumor in the brain. I'm even lucky to be alive. You know, and the doctor said that. He said, You're so stubborn. 
You don't have no blood and you steady falling and you steady getting up. What kind of man are you? But anyway, the grace of God brought me out of it with a submohematuma from the brain, you know. So, and uh, I'm still healing from, healing from my memory. But actually, I hate to say, <laughs> sadly to say, it brought my memory back what happened to me in prison and everything else. So, you know, things just happen. Yes. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, but tell, tell us, Mr. Griffin, about the, we talked about it. There was a loss here, a huge loss to you and your family as a result of doing, I believe, during the time when all of this was going on. Tell us a little bit about that tragedy that you had to go through. Well, I lost everything. You know, uh, my wife went through a lot. Uh, it was hard for her. She was telling me that, um, you know, I went down to the NACP. They didn't do anything to try to get my Social Security. And, Charles, you work for your money. Ain't nobody trying to help you. I'm having a hard time. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, it's your money, your pension, your Social Security, and your earnings. I just don't know what to do. So, you know, I'm, I'm listening to all this, and I'm in prison, and I can't do nothing. And it, it just hurts so bad. You know, my heart started hurting. I had to let her do all the crying. I just had to sit there and just look. And yeah. I just couldn't do nothing. I was defenseless, knowing all along that I'm in here for nothing. I keep telling her, she said, it got to be, because you're not that type of person. All your friends asked about you. They said, he's not that type of person. You know, but yeah. it, it was hard going through that 13 years. Did someone pass away during that time? Yes. I lost my, uh, I lost my aunt. I lost my grandmother. I lost my daughter. That's another thing, too. I lost my daughter when I was in prison. Could, you know what? They wouldn't even let me go to a funeral. Or nothing. Your own daughter. My, my own daughter. And I ain't did nothing. Yeah. Wow. Lost that, that, that tried to, she was only uh, 17 years old. And I, and, and it hurted me so bad, I went to the chaplain, and I said, look, chaplain, look, I, I'm here. I said, listen, chaplain, I said, I'm here for nothing. I said, I'd like to see my daughter. I said, I'd like to see my daughter. You know, I say, uh, I'm willing to pay for it, you know, but they got me down here like a real criminal. Right. So this is kidnapping. Yes. This is kidnapping. You got me in here. I can't see my own daughter and I ain't did nothing. Hmm. But, you know, hey, these are the things you live with. You know? Yeah. And these are the things, ladies and gentlemen, that um, this is why you must have a voice. This is why you must speak out against this injustice. This is why that when we remain silent, we enable the corruption in the system to continue. If I sit back and say, well, it's not my problem, I don't really want to get involved, you are culpable in the injustice and the pain suffered by Mr. Griffin. How can you know of an injustice and fail to speak out Against it, the death of a daughter, while I day for day hurt and grief behind the wall, in which I should have never been there. And to Cliff's point earlier, this was not a criminal matter. It was an altercation at a place of employment. And you criminalize this man. And you locked him up. And you continue to put him in the hole. I'm going to let you folks hear really quickly the sounds of solitary confinement, Mr. Griffin. Then we're going to come back. And ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. This is part one. 
of this injustice, and you probably don't have enough shows to tell the whole story. But to live this journey with Mr. Griffin, his wife, his family, step for step, is heart-wrenching. While we sit back and excuse injustice, we say, well, that's just the way it is. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Here's the sounds of solitary confinement. Take a listen. And there you have it. They put Mr. Griffin and they exposed him to what you just heard. And make no mistake about it, that's not a Hollywood production. Those are real sounds in the hole. If you're wondering, what are they banging against the doors? Their heads. To the point of going unconscious. It's a reality. You take a law-abiding citizen like Mr. Griffin, and you throw him in the den of lions without cause. And you want to say that we have the best system in the world. I have news for you. We don't. Other side of the break, we're getting final thoughts from Mr. Griffin on part one of this interview, of this conversation. It aims to get better and more informative 
next Tuesday. But we come back with his closing thoughts. Charlie Griffin's story of injustice continues after this. This is ADC Radio. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. And does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight we have learned some things that, I'll tell you what right now, that it's nothing new in our criminal justice system. The victims of injustice, their voices are going to be heard. Tonight, the voice of Charlie Griffin is going to be heard. We cannot remain silent on acts of injustice. We cannot act like this is just another case. It's not just another case. When injustice is found, every case is unique to its own. Tonight, Charlie Griffin has laid out on the canvas tonight the picture of cruelty, the picture of corruption, the picture of cover-up, the picture of injustice. We will continue this conversation. Mr. Griffin, again, thank you for joining us. We welcome you back. And I want to get your closing thoughts as we uh, anticipate Next Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen, tune in next Tuesday. Mr. Griffin will be back here in studio to continue to share his story and the price and the collateral damage of injustice. Mr. Griffin, I'd like to get your closing thoughts. If you could speak to those listening tonight that find themselves in situations very similar to yours, that find themselves or their family members going up against a brick wall of a justice system that is barbaric. What would you say to our listeners? Uh, first of all, I, I forgot one important thing. I'd like to say something about Rainbow Push, Jesse Jackson, and Johnny Sabres. Because I stayed in contact with them, and they're very concerned about that. Matter of fact, I'm going there in August and September. You know, and they're very supportive. The only reason they I'm not thinking I'm not in Chicago, I just go see Jesse Jackson on a regular basis and Johnny Sabres. I want to say that on that. Now, what I want to say is this right here. Is that never take the law in your own hands. I know it hurts, the things they do. But to beat these people, you need to deal with them with intelligence. If you're in church, don't trust your pastor. Go to your congregation and spread the word as the Lord said. Because there's somebody out there going to understand how you feel. And believe in the Lord thy God and his son, Jesus Christ. Because he's going to guide you the right way Soon or later It's hard Yeah they took 13 years out of my life But I never gave up And I never hurt An innocent bystander Even though I had all that hurt But I, I never could see myself Go that low To hurt anyone Even that these people involved Bring them out of the, To the dark and to the light that's how you hurt them. Yes. Yes. And Mr. Griffin, yeah, you're welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, tune in next Tuesday. Uh, we'll dedicate another hour to Mr. Griffin to conclude his story. Uh, we will continue to do what we can as an organization to get the word out uh, about Mr. Griffin. And we uh, support his endeavors as he goes forward uh, to really rebuild his life, to find a way to heal. Uh, and that healing comes when justice is found. And we'll continue to seek justice. Mr. Griffin, thanks for taking time out of your day tonight uh, to come and be part of this program as we continue on a week-to-week basis to bring the message of justice 
around the world. We appreciate you tonight. Thank you oh, so much. I thank y'all very much. I, I just feel so much better, you know, and uh, it's, it's a big burden off of me. You know, when I, you know, this will be the first time that I'm able, without having nightmares, to go, I can sleep at ease. Oh, that's good. Hey, that's <laughs> good you. stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, tune in next Tuesday. Charlie Griffin returns to continue to discuss the Charlie Griffin story and the injustice uh, that he suffered. The other side of the break, we come back. Something horrible going on with the, the BOP prison camp in Florence, Colorado. The target of the RP5, the barbaric actions, dictatorship, if you will, by the warden uh, out there at, in, in Florence, Colorado. And I'll tell you what, what you're going to hear, we've got to put it out to our listeners tonight. It is critically important. Uh, and we're gonna, you're going to hear about that as we continue here on AJC Radio to search for justice. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one 855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. 
Won't you join us? Call today. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom when they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to convict. Ladies and gentlemen of America, What is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? 
It's far away. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it, it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? Is this happening in America? The American dream has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, as we said prior to going to break, and a very special thanks to Charlie Griffin, his story will continue to go out. We change and turn the page tonight now on a troubling situation at Florence Prison Camp with the warden unit manager and case managers conspiring together, really, to retaliate against inmates who they put into refuse status under the Inmate Financial Responsibility Program. The retaliation scheme, which was created by Warden Matavusian, attempts to unlawfully compel forced inmates to participate in IFRP, which is a voluntary program. According to federal law, inmates cannot be compelled to participate in IFRP. And you can see that's under case law. States, uh, States v. Boyd uh, talks about that issue. And the United States v. Miller, uh, case law in that as well, uh, Going further, in order to compel inmates to participate in IFRP, Montevusion encumbers all funds in an inmate's trust account, thereby making it impossible for them to buy hygiene, medication, vitamins, or to send letters or emails to make phone calls. According to BOP program statement 45.12, section 8.8, which governs encumbers of inmate funds, careful consideration is given before any action and that encumbers may be made for various reasons uh, to ensure inmates do not seriously deplete their funds before release. Disciplinary measures resulting from a disciplinary hearing, inmates request claims. Warren Montevusion is selectively and maliciously encumbering funds of only inmates put in refusal status under the guise of preventing depletion of their funds before release while not encumbering the funds of the other camp inmates who are similarly situated or have less money for release. I'll tell you right now, folks, and they were even going as far. Uh, unit manager uh, Bikert wants uh, to take $348 a month of family money specifically sent to spend on BOP services, such as email, printing services to type and send legal research to family and attorney for court-related matters and use it towards a monthly restitution payment. 
So what happens is you earn an average of about $4 per month. That's what you earn at the prison camp. Family also sends money to purchase healthier food options from the commissary because much of the chow hall food is widely known and confirmed by numerous witnesses who work in food service in the warehouse to be either expired or labeled not fit for human consumption. Some of the inmates, and David Banks being one, very seldomly eats at chow hall. Like other inmates have the right to not do that. But then you want to come in. It's, I've never heard of this type of, of nonsense. And as I said earlier, Kenneth, we were talking during the break. Uh, the restitution game is exactly that. Whenever there's restitution ordered in a case, there has to be a hearing. It, that, has, it has to come from the court. It's got to come from the court. It has to come from as the court. far as the specifics. As a, as a specific value that you pay each month, that has to come from the court. And there's no such court order. Get, get, get. And, and there was no such court order in our case. And here's what's bizarre. The state level is a little bit different. Whatever you make, for instance, state pay, they call it state pay, is about 10 bucks a month you get. Uh, if you, that's what you get state pay. So whatever job you do in the prison, uh, you want to get 60 cents per day, which is uncomprehendable. So, but they have a flat rate of 20%. So, you know, if mom sends 200 bucks, 20% of that is, off, is, is not coming to you, but you can plan accordingly. What I'm hearing here, and I'm going to just make it blunt. This is about one thing. Target the families and target the IRP5. Because they started this with IRP uh, gentleman Clinton Stewart. Mr. Stewart started sending his payments to Denver. They backed off of messing with his money. When David Banks offers to do the same thing, well, I don't know if that's available for you. Why not? It is a continue, as we have said on this show over and over again, the abuse of the Bureau of Prisons, the abuse of this warden, he is a dictator. And you might as well call him a slave owner. Because this is, goes beyond below slave wages. Now what he's done, he has frozen all of David Banks' account, financial account. Well, he is, he is inoperable to do what he needs to do. He has a right, and any inmate has a right, to file legal paperwork, to do emails. Now you're saying, I'm going to cut off your connection with your family? Well, you can't make a phone call because you can't put money on the phone. And for those that may not have an opportunity to call your family and your loved ones, uh, they may not be able to receive collect calls. You have cut them off at the knees. Then you take food out of their pockets. Then you take regular human needs of hygiene, of taking care of yourself, toothpaste and soap, deodorant, all these things you need. Now you want to strip them of that. This has to be an outcry as we have never made before. Because, excuse me, now it is about retaliation. Mr. Banks is able to speak out from behind the wall and communicate the injustice, the corruption, the wickedness, if you will, 
at Florence Prison Camp with this warden, with its staff. Your thoughts? Yeah, you're absolutely right as far as that goes, uh, Lamont. And the fact of the matter is, is A, they're getting, like you point out, that he's getting paid slave wages, and then the family is now basically having to pay for their family member to be locked up and to be mistreated for years, for years to come. And, I mean, truly, like, it seems like they're just, it seems like they're out to make a point. And it's like, we don't know what it is other than the fact that they're trying to flex whatever power they think they truly have here. And I think, again, as this show presses forward, as we remain a platform and a voice for not only David, but the remaining men of the IRP5 and everybody else that's in, you know, behind the wall due to this system of injustice that we have, I mean, if this doesn't spark an outcry in the public and everybody listening to the show right now, I really don't know what will. Because, I mean, you're, you're sitting here, you're listening to it, and you're hearing about it, not just about David, but about every other person that we've, we've talked about, you know, as long as this show has been going on, about all these people, they're suffering behind the wall. But at David, especially at Florence, and this isn't the first warden that's even been giving these people, you know, the IRP guys a problem. There's been warden after warden after officer after, you know, individual that's doing this. And all for what? Because... Go ahead, Samson. They all for it just because some some talented men got lined up with an excellent contract with the government, and because of the color of their skin, they're like, no, we can't we can't allow this to happen. They've been trying to put them under the boot of the, the justice system ever since. And, and here's one issue, William. I'm coming right to you. One issue that you have to look at here is that there is no restitution order because there was no loss suffered by the staffing companies in this case. That there was a write-off, a write-off at any sentencing done in the criminal justice system. There is what they call a victim impact statement that is made to say why I believe uh, this amount of money of restitution needs to be paid. I am the victim. No such victim impact statement was received in the IRP6 case. No, we were arbitrarily given a number. We, we don't know why they came up with that number, but they came up with $5 million. Now, but she did not. The court never said, well, this is the payment monthly that you're going to pay toward restitution. In fact, she mentioned after they're done with their incarceration, exactly. where they start paying restitution exactly. to the court. Right. But the BOP takes it upon themselves to take the, to say, hey, we're going to make you enforce that in prison. And they're not the court because they know that. No one is going to come down and look at what we're doing. They think that's they're it. hidden, and that's what this show's about. Is you know what? Someone's got to pull the cover off and say, you know what? Just because you're way off in the middle of a field somewhere and you and you claim you got the worst people in the world, well, why aren't you following the law? Why are you being a hypocrite? And you're not following what the law says. You said that you're upholding the federal statutes of this country, but you're you're abusing an inmate for petty reasons that Lord knows what's in their mind right now. But it, it's just wrong. I and mean, wrong is wrong. Someone needs to speak out about it. Absolutely. Go ahead, Cliff. And the thing with the, the so-called restitution, I mean, these staffing companies are saying, look, we took out a line of credit. The loss that we had, uh, you know, is, is nowhere near that arbitrary number that, uh, that the court came up with of $5 million. And they have already received that loss back in a tax write-off. So they got a tax write-off for more than they lost in the first place. So they wouldn't touch the restitution with a 10-foot pole. So then you have to ask yourself, 
where is the restitution money going? And what we have found with our research is that in the state of Colorado alone, there are billions of dollars of unclaimed uh, so-called restitution that has been paid through BOP sitting there in a pot. Nobody has claimed it. And you know the reason that the prison continues to collect restitution and put it in that pot because after a specific amount of time that that money is not claimed by these so-called quote-unquote victims that don't exist, that are not coming out, that say, I have nothing to gain by trying to go after this restitution, a phantom restitution, but after it sits there for a particular amount of time unclaimed, the court can then take, uh, take possession of that money in the pot and say, now it's our money because nobody claimed it. It goes to the government. It is a racket. It's all about scraping in money. You're robbing the families of inmates that you're already using for slave labor. How about paying for the labor that you're, that you're uh, using these men and women as that are locked up? You have big corporations using them to build furniture and tools and vehicles, motors. But then you want to rob their families and say, this is restitution. This is what you owe. That is a farce, a fantasy, a facade, and it is a, it's just a crooked enterprise at the end of the day. What's well, a disgrace. William, your thoughts? You know, I, I was sitting here thinking, I mean, how this must impact the families. You know, people need to understand. I mean, that is something the least that, that is there for the inmate. The families reached out to them and say, here, this is for, you know, the things that you need. Now you shut this off. I mean, and they're already in a situation that they don't, they were wrongfully convicted. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is the thing that really just bothers me. It's like you're wrongfully convicted, you're in this situation, and now you just want to be tyrants and, and selectively, like, like that said, selectively pick on one person and exercise your, your power or abuse your power. And, and this is the way you're going to do it. So now you're going to cut off their commissary so he can't buy anything. And like you said, David does not eat from the cafeteria area. So he's sitting here. Everything he's getting is from the commissary. So now, what is he going to do? And it puts it puts him in a situation, but it also puts his family. And you know, that was one of the things we talked about. The, this whole thing, this vicious cycle, how it impacts the family. And you know, so when you you think about this, you're like, you know, what is his family thinking about at home? What are they thinking about day in and day out? They were already thinking about him. He's already been there seven years, wrongfully. And now this, more of this abuse is, if it's not one thing, it was abuse, abuse about, uh, I think, visitation rights at one point we were dealing with. Then uh, there was time that he was uh, put in a hole wrongfully. You know, all this stuff over and over and over again. And it's like, listen, when is enough enough? Because you guys are sitting here. Number one, you don't care about these people. You don't care about them at all. And now you just you choose to just be cruel and try to exercise these little these little rules and policies at your own leisure. It's it's totally wrong. And like like Kendrick was saying, that's why this show is so is is so needful. People need to understand and wake up. Unfortunately, they don't wake up until it hits their doorstep. But this could happen to you. This could happen to your loved one. This could happen to anyone. I mean, Mr. Griffin was sitting here and, and talking about a simple fist fight and was not arrested at the point in which it took place.
but was arrested later and served 13 years. Well, David Banks makes this statement. Me or my family will not sacrifice my constitutional rights of personal uh, autonomy over my health and well-being or using email for legal purposes to allow my family's money for such purposes to be redistributed towards grossly inflated restitution payments. Although I didn't verbally refuse to participate in IFRP, by card and bond told me that because I wouldn't sign a contract to redistribute my family's money away from the legal defense and healthier food options that I would be put into refusal status. So this is barbaric. You can't do that. So now you're saying, and again, these are the things happening behind the wall that people are, are not speaking out against. You do, how do you take an inmate's money with the intent that he might not be, that he might be silent for his voice? And, and the people that look at this too, because I had this conversation when I was in Florence with uh, my case manager. And I was like, you know, I know you're taking this restitution payment. And I said, I wouldn't mind at all paying any sort of restitution put on me if you paid me a wage that I could pay it. So what you're doing is if you have a loved one or a friend who wants to send you money because they care about you, they have a tax. They're going to take that money, and they're going to use it and send it to state, claim that they're sending it to restitution. Sometimes you don't know where it's going, actually. And that so basically just for loving you and caring about your well-being, hoping that you have – Trying to make a tough situation a little bit better, they're going to tax you. But to try to say three hundred dollars is ridiculous. When I personally made fifteen dollars a month, I didn't even see that fifteen dollars because it went toward restitution. So anything you get extra, that's what you got from your family. And then they want to take that. Now they're taking everything from David Banks without a reason. Yeah, without cause. And it says here, according to IR. IFRP, this is what's bad. If you are stated as one refusing, these are the penalties that you could face. Uh, you could end up being denied parole. All of these things. Listen to, the, listen to the possible penalties that they can impose, the Bureau of Prisons. Notification to the Parole Commission of the refusal to participate. I'm going to send something to the Commission of Parole that say you are refusing which means it looks bad for you as an inmate. He's not complying. That's the impression or the perception that they want to put out there. Ineligibility for a furlough. Well, we learned back in November when Luana Banks-Clark, the sister of David Banks, passed away. They refused him a furlough. This is a game. Ineligibility for performance bonus or vacation pay. You get paid that. Uh, You get vacation time for your little job you do, even behind the wall. They say, we'll take that away from you. Ineligibility for work detail outside the facility, that's a perk. If I can leave the facility and work, that's a benefit to me. I don't have to be here to work. More strenuous commissary spending limits. We're going to cut your limits down on you where you can't get the commissary you need. As you stated, David Banks does not engage in chow hall eating. Why? The box is marked in the warehouse, not fit for human consumption. But you want me to break out the napkin and the knife and fork and start eating. Are you kidding me right now? Mr. Banks says I'm not doing that. 
So I'll purchase my food. According in the lowest housing stat, housing status, you can be placed in different housing that you may not, they may not seem favorable to you. Ineligibility for community-based programs, ineligibility for release gratuity, ineligibility for participating in residential drug treatment programs. This is an umbrella to say we're not giving you anything, and it comes down to one thing, the bottom line dollar and the act to retaliate and to provoke a response from the RP5. You can, you can say whatever you want with it. That's what it boils down to be. We're coming right back, folks. Trying to digest that one. A scheme to steal and to rob at the federal prison camp in Florence, Colorado. Warden Matavusian, the ringleader of corruption at a federal prison camp in Colorado. We're coming back. This is AJC Radio. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration, historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioral problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people 
behind bars in the United States. I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time. And I say high time that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. We have a big problem and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Hey, guys. I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dolphin. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dan Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how. Somewhere I read. 
voice of America is the right to protest far right. So that does not say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. back ladies and gentlemen to AJC Radio as tonight has been an interesting night as we are now seeing a dictatorship the federal prison camp in Colorado Warden Metavision unit manager Bicart and Florence Federal Prison Camp case managers come together to conspire to steal funds from inmates at their locations. As we've been talking about tonight, David Banks, a target of this uh, latest action by this warden, freezing all assets of his account, all financial monies, frozen, which limits him now with basically no legs to do anything. A violation of so many constitutional rights here and not only his rights, but the rights of his family members and, and really in keeping funds away from him to live. Uh, and the kicker here is they're doing it without cause, without cause. And the question is, why is the push this strong? We know, number one, to retaliate against David Banks and the rest of the RP5 is a premeditated act of steps taken to provoke these men to unprofessionalism. Not going to happen. The fact that it is something that a warden can do while the BOP sits back again, the headquarters of BOP in Washington, D.C., sits back and does nothing. The do-nothing BOP, and that's their name for me, they do nothing. You can go through every channel. You can go to the regional. You can go to Washington, D.C. 
talk to the director's people, talk to the to, to the Department of Internal Affairs or the Bureau of Prisons. Nothing ever is done. And they give full latitude to a warden who comes in, as this warden is doing, and these case managers, and they let they let this run rapid. What are they in position of power for? What are they there to oversee? Because I have yet to hear where they have interceded on behalf of a citizen to say what they have done to you is wrong. I have yet to see that. The can speech reaction is, have you contacted the facility to try to work this out? A facility is not going to work anything out when they have their self-interest at heart. And the bottom line is they buy the garbage being fed through the disposal to the Bureau of Prison Headquarters. They're buying it. How does that change? Samson? Well, for me, you know, like I've said here a couple of times, like it only changes when, you know, people like a just cause. People go out there and they get the message out there and they don't we don't relent you don't back off you don't back down because that's what all this intimidation these gestapo tactics that's what they're all about they want to shut them up they want to shut them down and they want to put them in a box to say hey look just go away but as long as there's organizations like ajc radio like all the other different organizations that we've talked to in the show as long as there's people out there willing to stand up for those who can't speak for themselves this is not going to go away that's how this stuff has to change. We have to get out there. I mean, we, we've talked about voting. We've talked about, you know, peaceful protests. We've talked about getting out there and just getting the message out to, you know, not just the, the local community, but get out there, get up to Washington, get up to your, your representatives, get to whoever you have to get to to let them know, look, we know what's going on, whether it be a direct family member like David Banks or – you know, somebody else you may know that may not be a direct family member, but maybe a friend that you know that what's going on with them. We know what's going on. We know how it's supposed to be, and you're not following through. We're not going to set, set aside and get this, you know, like you said, we're not going to get a canned speech, a canned response. We're not going to settle for that, and that's what they want. They want you to settle. They want you to just sit back and say, okay, well, that we've done everything we can. We've checked the box. No, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep fighting until something actually happens. It says here that although BOP policy states that IFRP payment amounts are to be based on an inmate-specific obligation, Bicart, case manager Bicart, says she and Warden Matavusian don't care if family money is being used for my legal defense, health concerns, or other constitutional protected obligations. They want my family's money to be used to pay monthly restitution payments inflated by them under the IFRP program. To appease case manager Bond, my family agreed to pay $90 per month, which has occurred, has occurred for the past four to five years. According to BOP policy, the purpose of IRP is to encourage each sentence inmate to meet his or her legitimate financial obligations. I have repeatedly, and this is David Banks talking, uh, told unit manager Bicard and case manager Bond that family will agree to pay $90 per month directly to the court, but now warden Metavusion, Bicard and Bond, feels that isn't good enough. Again, BOP policy states that IFRP payments may be made from the institution or non-institution resources. So you have an inmate, inmate bank, saying, I'm willing, I've been paying this for four to five years. 
Who's putting the pressure to get Utah going from 90 to $348 a month? That's close to triple? Yeah, what's, and, it, what's they're asking for? And, and this is not just an isolated incident. They're, they're taking your visit to even go visit David. So this is, this is a serious pattern. We're, they're doing anything to isolate and to just corral David for whatever reason to make sure it's, he's having the hardest time that they could possibly give a person. Well, they made the statement at the visitation room. Guards talking amongst themselves. And they make the statement, whatever you do, make it as difficult as possible for David Banks' visits to go smooth. These are COs talking amongst themselves overheard by an inmate, making these statements. So the pattern, as Kendrick says, this is a pattern of abuse. And the people that are supposed to hold them responsible do nothing they do nothing we now appeal to the members of congress the judiciary committee who oversees the behavior the actions of the BOP are we going and I can tell you right now a just cause is in the process of kicking their doors down saying what will you do to stop this abuse that's what we'll do. Now you've taken this man's money. It's not your right. You don't have a right to do that. Just cause we'll expose it, and we will go to whatever extent necessary under the law to get it done. William, your thoughts on this one? You know, I, I mean, that's, it still really bothers me to think about the fact that how they just they consider, you know, they just don't give people these rights, the right to treat them in such a way that they have rights, and they feel free to just do whatever they want. I mean, it's, to me, it's kind of frustrating because I look at it and I say, okay, David was wrongfully convicted uh, with the, along with the other guy. Doesn't deserve to even be there. And now you want to make his time there as miserable as possible. And that's the thing that really, really bothers me because and, – and it has to be – you know, something has to be done. You know, you asked the question to Samson, what, what are we going to do? We have to let our voices be heard. You know, this show is, is, is key. People need to understand. They need to understand what we're dealing with, what happens to loved ones behind the, bar, behind the wall, what happens to those that are there that are incarcerated and th- when they're not being – taken care of adequately, no medical care, no nothing. And these people treat them worse than animals. You know, I mean, we've talked about it. And it's sad. It's really, really sad. And we have to let our voices be heard. Dennis. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. When you think about uh, what they do behind the walls, it's just out of control. I mean, something has to be done. And uh, as you were alluding to uh Lamont, you know, about going, you know, speaking to the congressmen and stuff and, and the judicial committee to make them aware. But it's got it's just so it's so strange to me that I'm sentenced. I've already been punished. I get to a facility that we call a camp. 
and you punish me even more. And then you take it to a personal level. This is personal. This is not uh, uh, we, we just where we, everybody's in the same. No, personal attack on David Banks. That is, if you can't, you can't get no longer than that. When you take your position and you make it personal, oh, we got some problems. Now we're overreaching, we're overstepping our authority, and that's what this war, this warden is doing. He's overstepping his authority. I'm gonna bypass every rule and I'm gonna make my own, just so I can get at David Banks. Something's wrong with that. There's something wrong with it, and it should not be happening. And the fact that this warden, again, took my visits away was the start of it, uh, another start of it, because it's been going on for five, wow. five years. So you blatantly lie and say that I called the disruption to attack David Banks. You blatantly do these things. You, you blatantly come in. We're going to cut email usage, down, e- email usage time down. We're going to limit a unit to one phone versus whatever number of phones are supposed to be there, to avoid David Banks from making calls. This is, as, as Dennis says, personal, personal acts of retaliation. Denial of furlough him. to see his sister Absolutely. go to her funeral. But then weeks later, you grant R&R for a guy to go spend some time with his wife. Not dead. Wow. This is a pattern, folks. We will expose it, and we will not go away. Hey, I, I, uh, to the prison camp, to your officials, we know you listen to this show. We are go- not going away. So you might as well dig in. We will expose you sooner or later. Kind of like somebody just continue to tap on this wall, tap on this wall, tap on this wall, until over a period of time that last tap caves it in. We will expose you. We will not go away. Kendrick, your closing thoughts on this show tonight. To me, it's just, it's a, it's a sad commentary that once you're in prison, and these, these are supposed to be men that's claiming that they're keeping the society safe from all those people locked in there, and they're breaking the law, and they're, and they're not respecting your constitutional rights. I mean, it's bad enough that you can't see your loved ones when you want to. You can't. You don't have free uh, movement. But then to just get vindictive, you know, this is their office politics and gossip. Is certain inmates we like, certain inmates we do don't like, and and let's what can we do? Because when you're just not professional and you just can't follow the law, this is the sort of stuff that happens. Something you're closing up. I mean, again, as we've said it on the show multiple times tonight, just the the nature of the people that are in charge, not only in Florence, but around, you know, detention centers, prisons, county lockups, all around this nation. It is, it is in a sad state of affairs that, you know, justice is so completely skewed now by numerous different factors and the fact now that the family's already going through enough with having a loved one behind the wall. But now to have this where, you know, like, no, we're going to, you know, exponentially increase the amount of money that we're going to take from him. So not only now is he basically working for free doing the job that he has there, but now anything that his family sends is taken from him, too. I mean, it's it's 
it's unconscionable what they're doing. And I'm just looking forward to the day when AJC Radio and like organizations are going to be able to actually like march up there and demand and get action from people in Congress, people up on the Hill, whoever we have to talk to in order to make something happen so that our our future loved ones won't have to go through the same injustice that this family has suffered for over seven years now. Well, absolutely. Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this whole conversation just continues to enlighten how, uh, you know, there's there's no other way to put it, just, just how crooked the system actually is, that, you know, once they get you behind bars, they silence your voice, or they try to as hard as they can, and when you push and fight, for your freedom, especially when you're wrongfully convicted. And you say, I am not going to just sit back and take it. I'm going to fight and continue my fight, even though I'm incarcerated. They want to shut that down. They want to attack you. They want to attack your family to try to get you to be quiet, to to, to try to destroy your constitutional rights. And, uh, you know, we, we will continue to expose it for as long as it happens. That's our commission. That's what we're here to do to ensure that we bring a light to injustice anywhere that it happens. When we as AJC see it, we will call it out. Oh, and that's what we have to do. And uh, I'm grateful tonight. Uh, again, a very special thanks to Charlie Griffin tonight, uh, the courage to come forward and to speak to his suffering. Uh, and we are very much aware of what it means to be denied. This is his daughter. He can come to his daughter's funeral. But it's the same thing we've lived with this prison camp who runs rogue and does whatever they want to do without any consequence of any kind. We will continue to crowd against it. Uh, This is not the end of this conversation as we continue to search for justice. Ladies and gentlemen, do not sit back and think, well, it it doesn't affect me. I guarantee you one day injustice will drop on your door. What are you going to do then? We fight now to ensure that doesn't happen. Till next time, America, this is AJC Radio. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers coming up this weekend. We'll see you next time. Take care. Good night.